I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is a Little Empire podcast. Visit us at littleempirepodcast.com. And on Instagram at Little Empire Podcasts. Are you gonna play that dastardly intro again? Ow! This movie's still fine. Zakoli, 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 One of them dies, that goes screw. One of them's a hot, his name is Jack. One of them looks like Johnny Depp, and his name is Johnny Depp. Classic Maximum Joseph. You forget that films are supposed to have a point. Hello and welcome to the official halfway point in uh, the worst idea of all time. It's me, Guy Montgomery. And myself, Tim Bat. We've made it, Guy. We're at the halfway mark. I didn't think we'd get here with this one. Uh, We started late in the year Mm -hmm. and uh, it's certainly... Certainly creating a few problems in terms of, you know, the mental nature of uh, finishing a year, which is looking forward. Yeah, because it is mental, isn't it? You get to the end of the year, you go, mental, mate. It has been a mental year, and I'm going to have a mental New Year's. That's right. And then you mentally look forward to uh, setting yourself up anew in the new year. Uh, This is like how the Americans do their school system. Because in New Zealand, we go by the calendar like a normal, sensible human being. Where you go, we'll start the school year, we'll give them a break over Christmas and New Year's, and we'll, we'll, you know what, we'll ramp into it right at the end of Jan. That's what I'm feeling. End of Jan, start of the year. Early Feb, end of Jan. We'll go to, I don't know, December. That's how our calendar works, sure. And then we'll knock off before Christmas. Sound good by everyone? It's clean. Do you know what it reminds me of? The metric system, which is something I love, because it just makes sense. It does. And it's not the first time we've brought this up to our American audience who consume this podcast, but let me tell you guys there are other ways of looking at the world that just seem a bit more sensible if you are willing to relinquish your intense love of tradition you you need to be adaptable you need to change with the times that's right and tim what i would like to say is what i'm struggling with much Mm. like i struggle with the american school system yeah is the idea that 2017 is just around the corner and yet yes and yet yeah i face myself with the prospect of watching this movie 26 more times. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's difficult to look at 2017 as a chance to start anew when I know I still have half a year of paying the debt of this bad decision. Yeah, 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 yeah. What to do about it, though? That's the real question. Keep on trucking. You've you've got to. Uh, we've got to just keep trying. We've got to stay out there, out in the wilderness, watching the movie. We've watched We Are Your Friends this evening for the 26th time. 
Guys, uh, it's cocktail whipped hour. Up, he's whipped us up a little spiced rum and ice. Uh, my favorite combination <laughs> of mixer it's, and spirit. I like making it at home because it's the most expensive cocktail you can buy in a bar, but it's so cheap. All you need is rum yeah, and ice. That's right. Ice in a bar costs a lot of money. If you kind of do the math on it, anything that you get that has ice in it, generally you're paying a lot. Oh, yeah, you're paying an extra $3 at least for frozen water. Completely, and you don't need to. That's you can just why go home I take your own. a small mobile freezer with me to every bar I visit. I just plug it in, find a PowerPoint, plug it in the corner. Mm. I'm making my own, my own ice. Do you know what else I'm doing, Tim? What? Setting up my own stalls, selling some drinks, making some money. <laughs> Do you know what I like about bars? Bars sort of prove to us all that there is a real high value that we intrinsically put on hanging out with other people. Because the markup on booze at a it's bar, madness. it's insane. If you stayed home, you could, for the price of one and a half drinks, could have about 12, if we're talking beers. And I'm not even exaggerating much. And the markup on spirits is no more friendly. Yeah. And wine. You Across the board, they are ounce. laughing all the way to the bank. They they... But, but what I love about it is it's because we love hanging out with each other. Because we are your friends. Yeah. That's what do we have Joseph at the end of the day? But alcohol and each other. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing. And uh, sometimes not even the alcohol part. Sometimes it's just each other. And, and that's, that's pretty good too. That's fine too. It is. Um, sometimes better. So look, it is... We won't lie to you guys. We're not going to sugarcoat it. The watches are getting harder now. Mm. We are into a different period uh, that we sort of haven't explored yet with this movie. I think it hit in pretty early with Sex in the City too because um, there was a very difficult time. Uh, those of us who were on our season two journey will know this. And I invite everyone to, if you get bored over the holiday season, listen to season two again. Why wouldn't you? Start from have you got a lot of time to waste, or like you, you're with your family that you don't particularly like, or there's something go, or, or maybe there's no one to hang out with and you're lonely? Hang out with your old friends Timbo and Guy Guy. Give season two another whack around, you know? or you know, get back, get back, get down and dirty in the trenches with season one over on How. Yeah, the options are available. You don't sound as convinced by that. I just because it feels like a business plug I, if it's season one because someone else owns it now. I uh, I personally haven't listened to either of those seasons. No, you haven't. So you haven't I, even listened to my solo episode I did like one and a half episodes ago. I will never listen to that episode. You bloody should. Do you know when I listened to it? When? On my deathbed. That would be high stakes. That would be the last thing I do is I'll be lying there and I'll think, oh. Do you know the one thing, the one itch I have not scratched in my time on this mortal coil? That 40 minutes. Timbo spent alone talking into a mic. And it will be so nice to um to revisit that and re- and find out what you were thinking at the time. It's not the strongest step. And what I learned about that is that I've got it in me to produce 40 minutes of talking, but it's not good. And this is the beauty of the relationship, I think, that we have fostered together. The yin and the yang. So, okay, so say an episode spans 40 minutes, mm-hmm. which means we both do roughly 20 minutes of talking. I'd say we both have five to eight minutes each of good talking. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I just moved the microphone arm. It's quite an ominous noise it made. (laughs) It was, wasn't it? Sorry about that. Doesn't matter. Move past it like a pro. I gladly will. Uh, So I suppose, so long as we're being mean towards the movie, Tim, was there anyone who really... Who really got on your nerves this week? For some reason, the person who really stuck in my craw was the blonde woman whose toe Zakuli steps on, and she's in the back of shot looking very busy in the initial... Uh, I know uh, who you're talking about. I've I know seen you before. do. I'm explaining for the audience. Okay. 
The, when we first get into social, the club where James Reed is introduced, and we first meet Somali as well, um, there's a, a bunch of women that Paige is with, and Johnny Depp's trying to round up more women for him. And um, and Johnny Depp comes over and he says, you gotta, you got to find more chicks for Paige. And he says, you got tons of chicks. He goes, no, nah, no, nah, not those chicks. We need better chicks. And there's a blonde woman who steps on his toe when Johnny Depp enters the, the yeah. fray with that. She really got on my tits this week. Don't uh, know why in particular. It's never really uh, stuck out before. Initially, but. when uh, Johnny Depp steps on her toe, maybe deliberately, maybe not, uh, and she says, ow, or watch out, or words to that effect. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about it then? It's too big. Oh, you didn't even, you didn't I even didn't like even, that. I did, from first blush, I did not like her this week. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and then I imagine your frustration would have only compounded as... Uh, she sort of just absentmindedly looked to find the camera lens. No, do you know what she's... Yeah, she does do that. But what she's doing as well is that thing where they try and find the straw with their tongue. Yeah. <laughs> they, people in clubs, you know, trying to look all... Not just people in clubs. Everyone is uh, is on a quest to find the straw. Yeah, just look for it, guys. There's this trope in film and television that you can't look at the straw else the straw's one. Not true. Not fucking true. That's an invisible barrier that we've put up as a society that you need to shirk. I leave it by the wayside. I'm not so sure, Tim. If we start looking at the straws, that might be just when they start to to show their hand. As far as we know, it makes no difference because the straws have never reacted. But if you start if you start looking at the straw and the straws like, okay, they're worried about me. Yeah. Is it like dog I got told from a very young age, I used to be quite afraid of dogs when I was a child. Um I had a big dog that knocked me over once. Maybe it all spanned from that. How old were you? From that. I don't know. Oh, seven, seven, eight. And I was, uh, you know, I was just a little kid, and it was a very big dog. Didn't do anything. Just knocked me over. Knocked me right on my ass. And um, people used to say that if you shouldn't look at a dog right in its eyes because it takes it as a challenge, gets all aggressive. So do you think straws potentially are like that? Um. Yeah. I'm saying I wouldn't risk finding out. Yeah. Maybe you're right. Is that what we've been? Is that what we have been teaching everyone around us? It's like, don't look the straw directly in the opening. It could take it as a challenge. No one remembers being told it, but we yeah. are we are all told at yeah. some point. It's weird, isn't it? I think it's around three, four. So you start making real solid memories that are going to last a, like a lot of them that are going to last a long time mm. when you're about five. Uh, but between I think three it's and four, than that. <laughs> if we've got any early childhood. Psychologist, I am. I'm an early child psychologist. So, Are you? Yeah, I've been uh, taking courses late at night uh, and getting up early in the morning to go and uh, practice. Scrolling down Piaget's theory of cognitive development. Yeah, reading on your Vygotsky. I've not been sleeping much, so it's been making uh, a lot of elements of my life really difficult, really mm-hmm. tricky. But you're enjoying it. Well, it's worth it. And uh, what I'm telling you is, uh, between three and four, you're not making all of the, you're not you're not taking all of the memories in for the long run, and that's when they sort of disseminate this sort of information, the straw information. I'm not going to argue with you. You're an educated man, a man who knows many things. But I'm not interested in knowing things. I'm interested in feelings this week, and I'm interested to know how. Do you feel, not about the movie, but about the podcast? How do you feel about the commitment that you're in the middle of now? Or kind of, in some ways, it's not quite the home stretch. I wouldn't quite describe it yet as the home stretch. But this wily idea that we had almost three years ago now, 
on the back of you being fired by default of your employer collapsing in on itself, and I and then, I quit my job. Yeah, not not to say that this is a job in any respect, but it's it's a fun project that we decided to work on. And now here we are, almost three years later. I would never have anticipated that we'd still be doing it. That's for damn sure. No, uh, never, never, ever would I have guessed. This is what would happen, and I st- I stand by every decision, uh, always, just by default, really. If you've it, made it, it's good. Well, yeah, there's oh, <laughs> not necessarily, but there's no other way to look at it, right? Mm. We're still going. Yeah, we're not going to stop. We're not the guys who stop. But it well, is not until it's appropriate. And no, that time is is. But know, it is um, up. it is daunting. It's I I sort of actually this evening was reframing it in my mind as like this uh sort of ominous, it's even though watching Grown Ups Two was probably at the time more uh psychologically confusing I think yeah because at this point it's bizarre because it's just it's something I have to do it's, it's like static as well do you yeah. have that I don't this and yeah it's like white absolutely. noise and it's so just there. what. The framework I'm trying to create around it now is it's like okay it's not it's not this sort of exhausting uh, chore mm. but it's just a very bizarre framework within which I get to spend time with you mm. and so and it's, it's <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to you Tim the fact that when we do spend time together this movie is happening in the background yeah uh, it does and we do have a, like a sense of obligation to engage with it and watch it it does tarnish. The fact that we're just hanging... Because we're not just hanging out. Like, we're doing this other thing first. But I'm trying to put the emphasis now more on just having a having a yak about what's happening and having a laugh. Yeah, with your old mate. Yeah. And then we sort of... Yeah, and then afterwards we talk about the movie. Which yeah. was probably, like, arguably the worst part about us hanging out. This bit right now? No. Uh, like, the movie. So oh, we ha- yeah, I we have you. a fun time hanging out. We do. And then we get together and we reflect on hanging out, yeah. but through the prism of having watched a movie that neither of us have enjoyed. It's a strange relationship, folks. Because Guy and I now overwhelmingly, and I never uh, sort of picked out where the date would have been, but overwhelmingly we've known each other far more within the confines of the podcast than outside. I would say so. And if not, uh, not within the recording of the podcast, at least the sort of planning and execution around it which is ramshackle but still you know it exists uh, yeah very strange very strange times we're living in very strange friendship guy and i've struck up it's I'm a- odd <laughs> in fact you know what i would actually recommend that more people try more experimental methods to be mates with other people like this engage in a long-term project with others some sort of art project where you have to team up and make something. Not enough of that going on right now. Uh, so I was with uh, Sophie, my girlfriend, the other day. <laughs> All right, mate. And All right, we get it. I cannot remember. You're a desirable man. I cannot remember who she was talking to, but it was uh, someone who I didn't really know. And she was talking, uh, she was just explaining what she'd been doing this year. And she's like, uh, and earlier in the year, uh, we went to uh, America with Tim, who's guy's partner and um and just kept and then kept talking and then like reverse check this i was like oh <laughs> his partner like there's no adjective on it but the implication is life or certainly something that is beyond just colleague absolutely uh 
and it, it was it was very amusing and terrifying to her that the mental the subconscious mental categorization of our friendship uh is more along the lines of whatever sort of intensive partnership that it is. It scares you? Doesn't scare me. I think it just confused her that she'd mentally. Uh, it sounds the- like it scares you. It sounds like it makes you uncomfortable. And to be honest, I'm hurt to hear that because I run toward that term. I run into it with open arms and an open heart. Hey, well, now that you've said that, I can take that feedback on board. And- we are your friends. I am your partner. And it's nice to hear you say that. And maybe the reason I was shying away or afraid to embrace that term was because I wasn't ready to take that step. And now what do you feel? Now are you ready? Now that I've put it on the table? Tim, I am your friend. And yes, I and am your partner. Yes, bro. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> And I may bro you for I know you. <laughs> that is absolutely correct. In that moment, whether through uh, pretending to feel more intensity or not, I went to the trouble of tearing up. I don't know if I planned it, but there is a, a genuine tear on, on, the, on the outer You're side of each actor. Eye. Very talented actor. I've always said that a about you. A powerful feeler as well. I look forward to seeing more of you on the silver screen. It's what we in the biz call uh, the movies. You know, the moving moving pictures, the talkies. You know what I'm saying, right? Yeah, I know what you're saying. You know, when you, when you go to a cinema and there's kind of a two-dimensional representation of a dramatic experience of yeah, life that's yeah, condensed no, from anywhere between one day or multiple years into like a, anywhere between sort of an hour 20 to three hour flick. Um, yeah. Um, that, that thing. Yeah, That's yeah, what I want to see you be in more. I know about that. I want you to be the flat image that I'm seeing on a screen, which is representing a three-dimensional story that's happening combined with sound at the same time and I synchronous. I could FaceTime you every morning and tell you a story. That screen is not silver, though, so I do not wish to see okay. you on that I one. I could cast your phone in silver and then do it. Nice. Love the lateral thinking. Silver screen is more of a metaphorical term. Okay. So we're not talking literally a screen made of silver. We're talking the pictures, the talkies, the flicks, the films. Yeah. The Oscar bait. And the Oscar fish. I came up with a set of ideas that I'd like to throw at you, um, centered around Gold Star Realty Solutions. Which is a fantastic business. I wrote this down because I thought I'd lose the train of thought. Okay. So, um, hi everybody, it's Tim here. For those of you who have never heard the podcast before, uh, this is a podcast where we watch We Are Your Friends. And in We Are Your Friends, there's a character called Paige, and the the Paige character, uh, he has a business of his own called Gold Star Realty Solutions that the um, protagonists of the film eventually work at briefly. <clears throat> now, there's a shot that we've talked about previously in the podcast where... Johnny Depp holds up a gold bar while Zuccoli is talking to Tanya Romero on the phone. It's always been a little confusing until I broke it down. Gold bar, gold star. Gold bar, gold star. There's something to the gold element. What if, dear listeners and guy, for a moment, we entertain the idea that Paige Harrell, CEO of Gold Star Realty Solutions, has formed a shell company to hide the world from his real project, which is engaging in modern-day 21st century alchemy. 
turning other elements, usually lead, into gold. Why would he be doing that? To create a substance cheaply, which is superconductive and used in computer circuitry. You need gold to make computer chips. This we know. What does it require? I'm picking a fusion reactor. I think that's been the missing piece. That's been the missing bit of math that they didn't have in the 19th century where they were trying to figure out how to... Even, I think, Tesla was trying to turn lead into gold. People thought it was very possible back in the day. What is a fusion reactor? A fusion reactor... I'm no physicist, but it's it's, it's, it's some sort of big contraption that uses fusion... And I don't know exactly how that works on an atomic level, but you're fucking around with atoms to produce some sort of chain reaction on an atomic level to produce energy. So there's fusion and there's fission. And I think the sun uses fission from memory. And I can't remember what either. There's a, yeah. Fission is like cooking and fusion is when you're goofing around with the atoms. There's there's, There's one that's like what atomic bombs use. And I think that's, oh, maybe that's fission. I have no idea what I'm talking about. That's okay, though. So you think a fusion reactor is the, or Paige certainly thinks that a fusion reactor is the missing link in terms of... Alchemy. Yeah. Turning things into gold so that he can build a supercomputer. And the reason why he's named the company Gold Star Realty Solutions is fusion is maybe, no physicist, the thing that happens... During the death of a star. Oh. Fusion. So he's using the death of stars. Which well, he's using the atomic reaction that happens during the death of stars. He's machinerizing it. So he's studied... My verb, the, TM. The atomic... <laughs> TB should be your vision TB, of trademarking TM. something. Timbat trademark. Uh, he's, he's, he's studied what exactly... You know, on an atomic level happens when a star collapses. Yeah. And he's recreating that with his fusion reactor yes, to bro. finally crack alchemy. Yes. And the means of both funding and fronting this, because it is highly illegal to, to goof around with sort of atomic science like that. Yes. Is a sh- legal but morally dubious and shonky realty company called Gold Star Realty Solutions. See, you get it. You get it, dude. And that's the best way to hide in plain sight. So, the reason he's developing the supercomputer is so he can master alchemy. And what is he going to do once he gets all the gold together? To produce a supercomputer made of all the superconductive gold. And what is the big? What's the big plan with a supercomputer? Well, I've got a couple of ideas with that. I haven't quite figured that bit out yet. Right now, in your heart of hearts, what do you think is the most likely reason Paige Harrell would want to build that supercomputer right I now? suspect the man wants to live forever, okay? That sounds terrifying. Yeah, but the only way you get there is with a shitload of math going on in some computers to figure out why do cells die the way they do, how do we stop that from happening, and then how do we kind of incorporate that process into the human body? You know? Why does Paige... Lisa, what are all the billionaires are thinking of at the moment? Peter what? Thiel. Heard of him? Yeah, he's, he's, not, he's not all G. He's not all G. <laughs> he's not all G. But he reckons he's going to be able to crack immortality. Why can't Paige? I understand 
I guess, just on a out of, on out of pure curiosity, no desire to apply it to yourself, the fascination with the idea of immortality, whether or not you can create and sustain that for a person, the idea of experimenting on yourself to do it. I don't understand if you crack that, what the payoff of living forever is. I am so glad you asked. I didn't ask. At the in the beginning, there was day and there was night. But at the end, there will only be Brady the Rat King and Dickbot. And if Paige has anything to do about it, Paige Harrell. Three champions chosen by fate, determined by the elements, solidified by their own resolve into the storied pages of human history. These are the three champions who will be fighting over supremacy of our planet Earth. He's caught wind of what's happening. Yes. And he backs himself. You've got it. What greater battle could there be than an artificial intelligence created by the Russians from memory? A man-beast who has figured out how to train rats to train other... Thank you. A man-beast who has figured out how to train rats on how to train other rats to command the power of the rats and perceivably an immortal man. I guess for me what is striking is the hubris of Paige. These two already established immortal, not quite omnipresent, but certainly to an extent all-knowing, all-seeing beings. That's why you're wrong. And Paige as a mere mortal who hasn't even developed the computer yeah. That is then going to develop the technology to make him live forever. To throw his hat into the ring is just suicide. How do you devour a whale, Guy Montgomery? Piece by piece. One bite at a time, you've got it. So what Paige is doing is he is exchanging the sweet release of death, his own mortality, in exchange for trying to shape the destiny of this planet. He knows that Dickbot and Brady the Rat King are not particularly good choices for champions that will be able to usher in the apocalypse. Why? Why is Paige better? He thinks everyone is the hero of their own story. To him, he is better. You know what I mean? Everyone thinks that they will do a better job than anyone else. Whether it's true, Whether it's true or not, kind of not relevant. He's just getting in there, he's getting stuck in because he thinks it's his moral duty to take it away from Brady the Rat King and Dickbot. All right. So that that is the secret of Gold Star Realty Solutions. Wow. That's what's really going on there. Hiding in plain sight. Hiding in plain sight in the San Fernando Valley, I think. What would, within the, the constructs and constructs of the U.S. justice system, the punishment be if he was discovered to be doing what you suggest he is doing. I actually don't think the punishment... Would, okay, so what we're dealing with in terms of time frame in the movie is that he's simply trying to create a fusion reactor. And it would be pretty hard to prove that unless, you know, he left some very legally definable documents and intentions out there for someone to grab. And even then, who are you dealing with? The the What is it called? It's like the World Nuclear Agency or something like that. They don't really have a lot of legal sway. I, look, if he was going away anywhere, I don't think it would be to jail. They'd just say, like, don't mess with any radioactive elements for five years or something. Give him a little for cash five, fine. For five years. Yeah, something like that. 
you get stories of kids every now and then. You can Google this. This is true. Who take apart um, lots of secondhand microwaves to try and create their own atomic reactors. <laughs> and kids have pulled it off before. The FBI picked up this kid because I think he might have been like posting it online or something. And they eventually they used a, a Geiger meter, which is something that measures radioactivity in the atmosphere. And they <laughs> tracked him down to his house and they said, the fuck you up to? And he, he was like, I'm just, I just wanted to see if I could do it. <laughs> and and then presumably they hire them. You, I mean, that's the smart thing, right? That's what you would do. I think, yeah. It's got to be a bit of that <laughs> going on. You don't just leave them. You, don't, okay, you, you don't, don't put those smart ones in jail, eh? Surely you wave a little bit of cash in front of them and you grab them. You don't tell that kid, all right, you're not going to prison, but no, and you're not, just no more goofing around with atomic reactions. <laughs> <laughs> that is the craziest thing you could say. Um, yeah. Hey, look, Tim. Mm-hmm. If I may, I'd like to do something with you right now. Yeah. That I does it involve a song? I've done twenty five times before, and I will yet do twenty six more times. Um. But I think you know what I want to do. I I want to hope I do. Yeah, I want to unbutton. Yeah. Open up. Uh huh. I want to get a little touchy, get a little feely. I want to do a little heavy petting. And. You want to be in a position to be getting sentimental with James Oh, that's nothing of that word. Not one part of it. A tough listen. None of that. Maybe I could auto-tune it. I won't. I don't even know how to do that. James Reed, the most powerful of the feelers. Yeah, man. We don't even know the other one's names. That's how consigned to the anals of history they are. <laughs> Along Which with had... Blaze Pizza's delicious, organic, Do you know what? locally sourced ingredients. I've been thinking about Blaze Pizza a lot recently, and I, I'm really questioning whether or not we should bring them back into the fray, but I think we, we probably should. Well, I think, if anything, just to keep them at arm's reach, uh... You know we're 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 in their peripheral now. Yeah, man. Is that the time when you attack, or is it where you regroup? I don't know. I feel like in you a sort of in a, in a uh, kill or be killed, predatory sort of sense. We go for the throat. You strike when you're in the peripherals, All because right. any closer and you're in focus. All right. Any further away, you can't be seen. But you freak them out, and yeah. then you attack in that moment of panic. Time to bring back hashtag pad boys. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I guess. I don't know what shape it will take. So half-hearted. We no need to, one's no, going to follow that battle no, we cry. Do, we, I won't go with you into into the fields, no, into the killing fields. I was thinking more in terms of like attack, like a lion attacking a wildebeest then. I sort of got distracted from the Blaze Pizza thing and started thinking about actual lore of the jungle. All right. Hey, well, listen. Um, go fuck yourself, Blaze Pizza, is what I have to say at this moment in time. <laughs> been, yeah, well, Take it the other way, they why not? Paid, they haven't paid us a goddamn cent, and that needs to be on the record, and it is now. Um, you guys need to know the truth. You owe it to yourself to know the truth. I owe it to you to speak the truth to power. Who is power? Blaze Pizza. Who is you? The person listening right now. What I'm going to do, though, is a massive middle finger, is take a brief moment for us to hit pause. I know that we've just done the jingle for the start of a bit, but we're going to just hit pause on it to hear from our regular sponsor who actually gives us money because they fucking believe in us. Ow! 
And this week we are sponsored by Audible.com. You know them, you love them. They are the company that is just chocked to the brim full of online audio on-demand entertainment and information for you. We're talking books that are being read aloud by skilled narrators. We're talking periodicals that you know and love. Uh, we're talking all kinds of things. Think of a library. Is it overflowing yet? Because that's what's happening over here at audible.com. It is literally bursting at the seams. And uh, I, for one, have been thoroughly enjoying Tim. Yeah. You know, I like to laugh. You know, I like humorists or writers who are humorous. Yes, it is so tiresome being around you. Well, it's going to get a little more tiresome as I tell you about the latest exciting book I've been listening to. It's a collection of essays by David Sedaris called Me Talk Pretty One Day. And basically, as far as I can tell, David Sedaris is a very funny man uh, with a very unique voice, both audibly and also in writing, who... uh, has a series of gripes with the world that he shares in a hilarious essay form, particularly learning French from a terrifying French tutor in the city of Paris, the city of love. What's the name of that book again that I can Me, get on audible.com? Me Talk Pretty One Day, written and narrated by David Sedaris. His sister is the voice of Princess Carolyn in Bojack. Oh, very cool, very cool. Well, look, my pick this week is a book that I have read half of and continue to chip away at it which has become recently very relevant. And look, I don't normally bring news and politics into this podcast, but I will today in the sponsorship, folks. (laughs) All right. Because uh, Donald J. Trump, president-elect of the United States, has been talking a big game about a man called Rex Tillerson, former CEO of ExxonMobil, who you can read about in a very, very, very good book called Private Empire, ExxonMobil and American Power, written by the fabulously talented journalist Steve Cole, Narrated by some dude called Malcolm Hillgartner. Can't say I know him, but I'm sure he's got a golden crispy voice. If his name is, ev- is if his voice, sorry, is even half as good as his name, I can only imagine the joy <laughs> that it would be listening to him. That, that is a private empire if available. If you want to get involved with Audible as well, you should visit audible.com forward slash try now. That's a u d i b l e dot com forward slash try now. You will get a free thirty day trial. What? And a, and a free download. What? Yes. You heard that right. So I would like to take this opportunity to say thank you, Audible, for sponsoring our podcast. And we're back. So when we last left Timbo and Guy Guy, we were about to get a little sentimental. And Guy, I think you were going to lead us there. I was. I was going to lead the charge. I was going to wear a velour dressing gown, some bare paw slippers, Pour myself a little glass of brandy, mm-hmm. light up a stogie, put it back out, and uh, get a little sentimental. Okay. You've really painted a picture. I feel like I'm on the mountains well, with you. Well, that's where it's happening. Uh, and what we have here is a self-serving gift, gifted by James Reed of the Feelers to Zicoli. It is described as self-serving, and it fits inside the box of a MacBook Pro. And this week, I put it to you, Tim. What do we know about James Reed? We know he's a bad guy. We know he regards the dining experience in LA as subpar. We know he likes to eat cake. And in a very particular way, he does not believe in the use of crockery or cutlery when it comes to cake. Cake is a hand-to-mouth experience. Mm -hmm. The only part of the cake-eating process where he believes in efficiency and cleanliness is in the cake-cutting experience. 
We don't even see half of the slicing motion, but he's got the whole slice of cake out and ready to go when he comes home on his birthday and takes it out of the fridge. How could you do that? How could you cut a slice of cake on both sides, meeting in the middle, in less than a second? I don't know. You couldn't with one knife. Editing? You could with editing. But I will not let the fact that you've made a very clear and logical point that completely removes the wind from my sails stop me. I'm so sorry. I really apologize for that. What is in the MacBook Pro box is an assembled set of very sharp metal. Right. That, when constructed correctly, forms a double-sided, perfectly weighted cake-cutting knife. Mm-hmm. You take a whole cake. Yes. You lower the slicer. Yeah. Like a tri- like a yeah yeah like a triangle. The like sh- a slice of pie. The sharpest metal. Blades on each side. The sharpest metal. And you have to assemble that like a like an IKEA table. Yeah, and there's that no. That seems very dangerous considering all, how sharp this metal is. They're all blades. And there's no Far screws, out. there's nothing to connect them. Oh my god. You so just you, have to do it through willpower. You just slot them in. Yeah. Is there a little slot that they no, can no, fit no. into? A little cut? They the are all just individual, razor sharp, sheets of metal. I really I don't know how that You're saying sheer will. You have to will it there's, to happen. There's gotta be some practicality behind it though, surely. Is it a bit of what do you use for that? Super glue? If I'm cutting through a birthday cake, that's not a massive amount of resistance, especially if these blades are as sharp as you say they are. So I think they you are would, so sharp. You would get Do you know how many lives were lost during the testing product testing phase of this product? How many? Uh the number hasn't been released, but it's in at least three figures. Whoa. That is that's a flawed testing system. Oh, absolutely. It's a miracle they buried that. I don't know who does their PR, but truly. Fucking hell. Ginzu eat your heart out because this company did they ate multiple hearts out because they were dead already never waste a good human heart that's what we've always said from the beginning we're just tying the company line here so James Reed has gifted two flat equal length equal width razors you want to know something guy it's interesting this product I haven't seen out in the wild and one curved razor because with two handles if there was a... Um, the handles are also razors. If <laughs> It's a lot of razors. I don't know who the product's for. But if, if you were to adapt a version of this product that was safe for human consumption, which is that you have kind of a triangle wedge knife thing, like a cake cutter, I guess what it relies on predominantly is a standard size of a given cake because... Excuse me. What you want is an evenly um, sliced set of slices, they, right? Uh, they accommodate this very curiosity or question in their slogan, which is the flexifit of knives. The flexifit of knives. Is flexifit something I should be aware of? Flexifit is uh, a style of cap that was popular. It's sort of a. Uh, a colloquial way of saying one size fits all. But they weren't adjustable. They were just elasticized. Okay. Okay, okay. And then as a subheading underneath the flexifit of knives, it yeah. says these are not elasticized. These are the sharpest razors on the open market. <sighs> okay. Uh, and the Silk okay. Road, which no, is an okay. even smaller type just underneath the subheading. Okay. 
and he's just given the um the loose parts to Zakoli to put together. And we know that he's not a bright boy. He's got a lot of willpower though. Yeah, and he's got beautiful soulful eyes, but it doesn't mean he's an intelligent man. I think uh, 100% willpower, 0% intelligence is exactly what it takes to safely assemble this product. Well, well, look, we done, we done did it now. There it is. There it is, folks. If you can figure out what the standard size of a cake is, you can probably make this product and sell it. And I would love it not to seek a portion of your profits. I would just like to hear about it if you make it out there in the business world. That'd be great. <laughs> I'm also very interested. So here's to you, Guy, for thinking of such a product. Well done. Well, don't thank me. Thank James Reed, the most sentimental fellow of all the fellows. Someone uh, sent us a link recently of the feelers played a live show uh, at the end of November. Did you see that? Yeah, it was deep in the South Island of New Zealand. (laughs) Very deep. (laughs) (laughs) With some acts that suggest that perhaps the feelers star has been on the wane since the mid-2000s. I refuse to acknowledge the very idea of it. The feelers are and always will be a super group at the peak of their powers and the preeminent force of new wave rock in New Zealand. 15 years ago. And forevermore. Okay, well, I'll drink to that. Chin chin again, old mate, old friend. Hey, do you know what would be cool if you and I got old like Magneto and Xavier from X-Men and we both had like a super army of crazy soldiers at our disposal and we respected each other but we sent our minions to fight one another? Is that their relationship? Mm. That's where it gets to. In X-Men, Guy, I heard a really great um, analogy put forward by uh, there's a woman on uh, YouTube called Comic Book Girl 22, I think, and she's fucking fantastic. She makes some very good videos, and she was like, and I never thought of it this way before, but she was like, "What you got to know about X Men is that here's what I knew about X Men. I knew about X Men from the cartoon series, and that it, there was a lot of heavy." Uh, it was very analogous to the struggle and plight of gay people and LBGT people in like the 90s, kind of coming out of the 80s where there was a lot of fear around HIV and whatnot. And and so it was like, there was a lot of, you discovered your powers when you were a teenager, predominantly, just like your sexuality. You had to kind of come out to your parents. A lot of people were afraid and didn't really understand. So there were a lot of analogies there. But, Comic, Bill, Comic Book Girl 22 explained to me in a YouTube video of hers that originally in the comic books, a lot of it was analogous to black civil rights in America and that Professor Xavier was representing Martin Luther King and Magneto was representing like a more uh, unaccepting of the status quo, like let's aggressively try and change things to get things fairer for, for us Malcolm X point of view. I thought that was fucking cool. And and so you so you and I I'm positing in our old age, hopefully with my fingers crossed, will end up being uh comic book analogies of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. Wow. You're nothing if not ambitious. <laughs> Imaginative. There's a difference. I, I don't think it'll happen. I hope it'll happen. And that's the difference. I put it to you then, the most imaginative person I currently have access to. 
what was your shining light of We Are Your Friends this week? Uh, definitely, without question. A fan at one of our live shows in America gave us that, and from memory it was at the Portland, Oregon show. What guys just played for you is a talking rock from uh, Little Nicky, the kind of merchandise rollout of that, and it's just this black rock. I don't know how else to describe it. It's a plastic black rock. You push a particular part of it, and it's a button, and it plays Little Nicky's voice. I imagine there was another piece to the rock, like a small nickel litty or... Whatever you want or to call him. Sadam Andler mm. sitting upon it. Anyhow, <sighs> do not let that distract you, my friend. And I won't. Your shining light from this, the 26th and middle screening of We Are Your Friends. Without a doubt, it's the eyes of Zach Efron in one of the shots. And you know the shot I'm talking about during Squirrel's funeral when oh, you're yeah, first yeah, getting in yeah. there and you see it and he looks like a fucking anime character bowl oh me oh my he does look like a very attractive man his face is sad and hot all at the same time it's like you can't deny the sexual attractiveness of that face you would be mad to do that you'd be a crazy person and his eyes in particular are just, they're, they're as high def as they come. They're watery, they're glistening, they're blue, they're deep, they're soulful. You get lost in them. You're at a, his friend's funeral and for a moment you go, do you know what, Zac Efron? I have never laid with a man, but you, sir, right now, I am rethinking my options. In terms Asking of all the right questions. I can't help but notice, Tim, that is more of a trait of Zac Efron himself and nah. less of a feature of the film. We and are that friends. is a classic mistake from you, Guy Montgomery, in misunderstanding the filmmaking process. Because that's not just Zac Efron. There was a cameraman who had to capture that shot correctly. There was a lighting person who had to shine their light upon Zac Efron's face to get that exact look. There were post-production people. There were colorists. There was a guy in the music department who put just the perfect minimalistic bit of soundtracking underneath it. And all of those elements came together to make a sexual dynamo for about a second and a half in one shot of the movie. Do you find morning sexy? No, not generally, which makes it all the more compelling that I am so viscerally attracted in a very raw way to Zac Efron's face during that little sequence. Very well. And your shining light, Guy, Alexander, Halifax, Montgomery. It sounds made up when you say it all together. (laughs) Should I get the order the right way? Yeah, you got it. Yeah, good stuff. Um, When Jarhead relocates the group to their new house in the, I believe, Encino Valley, he excitedly... um, he sort of well, no, actually, he he's very excited for a start, uh, and in his excitement, first of all, he forgets to advertise that it has a pool, so he sells it to everyone, which is a testament to the sort of charisma of the man uh, that he's able to convince everyone that this is the place they want to live without yet introducing arguably the best element of of the dwelling. 
Uh, but in his pitch to Johnny Depp, he shows him the room and he says, what do you give a man who has everything? And he pulls a wardrobe door across. Uh, and the, the wardrobe door so far is entirely mirrored and the door he moves is also mirrored. So it's just a one long full length mirror facade for a wardrobe. And he says, just more of that man. And behind the wardrobe is another mirror on the other side of the room. So Johnny Depp, uh, who I hate, by the way, I think he's a bad guy. He loves himself. He has every opportunity to look at himself, and he does so. And his reflection, it does that classic thing when you're in, ba- when you're in a bathroom with two mirrors where your, your reflection goes on forever. And they capture that on camera. And also, in sort of other corners of the mirrors, they capture Squirrel, Anzacoli, and Jarhead, um, all out of focus, but all in the frame. And you don't see a boom or a gaffer or a production assistant or a camera in sight and it's a real triumph it's ambition uh succeeding and they got the shot they got the shot hashtag they got the shot they did and all power to them that was your shining light very protection heavy elements i think this week for both of our shining lights and i'm not sure what that speaks to but i feel like it may be us I, running out of movie running I out of i feel runway. like mine was more production heavy and you made yours production heavy but yours is just the fact that Zach Efron has nice eyes yeah that's true no <laughs> doubt about that you have uh i don't know if you've done it deliberately but you've distracted yourself by toying with your uh owl light mollusk mollusk close enough pretty good uh is this you sabotaging the tail end of the podcast or is this you sort of pensively looking for more inspiration just to hold it we um we discussed an idea uh during the course of the movie that i can't remember for the life of me what it was but uh oh actually i know what it was it was it was the gold star realty solutions theories oh you 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 laid that that out quite clearly Mm. yes i did there was one uh solo uh, riff in which I posited that Zakoli and Somali actually created new life. A child called Kevin, who was so attractive. Yeah, guess uh, what, guy? We don't we don't call that a riff. That's a conversation. That's a talk we had. I put it all to you. Yeah. Is that still conversation? It feels di- don't call it. It feels dirty. Okay, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be dirty. But uh, but but there was. Please let's the relive light, it because the light, it was sensationally disgusting uh it uh, was so dark i was impressed at the depths of depravity your mind went to see now i was just going to share the uh the less grisly details oh okay oh now i feel like we'd be depriving our dear listeners you're not wrong uh the logic of it was they made a child so good looking so attractive called Kevin. kevin who went to preschool and was shunned by the other children for his physical perfection. The boy was so good looking that he was literally unbearable to the eyes. And so he was an a outcast. A reverse Medusa. A reverse Medusa. And the teaching staff were sort of, they could look at him, but in a way that everyone was aware was unprofessional and so could not teach him. And he was banished from schooling and uh, he became very lonely and very sad. And what Lucifer did was saw this very beautiful, very sad, very lonely child and offered him immortality. An interesting thing that's popping up in this episode. It is. 
uh, which he which he took uh, regretfully, as it turned out, because as he grew to be an adult, no one found it comfortable to be around him. Such was the physical perfection of this child. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I've missed out a very vital detail, which was so after he got banished from from preschool. Somali and Zakoli were very upset. They were very sad. They were distraught beside themselves. They didn't know what to do. So they returned to the site wherein the child was conceived, Las Vegas, Nevada. They climbed atop the Ferris wheel where they first shared uh, the opening sort of verbal constructs of their love, where they confessed to one another that they were what the other one truly wanted and this was their future. So they returned to the scene of not the crime, but certainly where the event happened. They climbed atop the Ferris wheel to the point at which they confessed their love for one another and in a final throw of passion threw themselves down, not from the outside of the Ferris wheel, but within it. So they bounced from beam to beam. Jesus Christ. Truly devastating I apologize stuff. for the blasphemy, but it is a grisly image. Uh, that's right. They bounced so vigorously that they're... <laughs> they ended themselves. They ended themselves and their blood stains are upon the Ferris wheel to this day. And... As part of the the tempting deal that Lucifer struck with Kevin in exchange for immortality, he it was foreseen in a sense that he was uh, left to manage and run that very Ferris whale till the end of his days, which as we all know now, because of the immortality, is never. So just at the uh, end of this episode, I'd like to recap. We now have Brady the Rat King. We have Dickbot. We perhaps have Paige Harrell, who has discovered the secret of immortality through his property pyramid scheme funded fusion reactor alchemy contraption, creating a supercomputer, leading him to the conclusion of discovering endless life. And now you're telling me that in addition to these three super beings walking the earth at the end of time, we have to add Kevin an impossibly attractive product of Somali and Zuccoli who signed a deal with the devil to oversee the same amusement park ride in Los, An- in Las Vegas, Nevada, that took his parents' life. Those four people... For immortality. Fuck. It's a, a tantalizing cliffhanger upon which to to end the first half. It is, and it's also a very good metric to measure where we're at at this 50% way mark in the season. This episode's been entirely too long. I remember when we did 25-minute episodes. They were crisp, they were good. We got in, we got out. I long for those days again. Speaking of which, Tim, may I take this opportunity to promote a podcast which does feature 20 to 25-minute episodes? Well, not the the general done thing, but go on, seeing as how we're here. Uh, it's it's hosted by the Little Empire itself, and it is uh, featuring myself and, and Carlo Ritchie, a very, very funny Australian improviser and person, um, and it's called Hosting. He came to stay in New Zealand for a week. I hosted him in my house. We recorded a podcast, Chatting the Experience, each day of the week, and... Um, we had a hell of a time doing it. We, we learned a lot about each other, I think, and certainly uh, a few differences and similarities between our respective countries. So if you like listening to Guy Montgomery, be sure to listen to Hosting, a brand new podcast 
which uh, you can search for in your podcast capture of choice or just go to littleempirepodcast.com. Uh, on that note, I would like to end this episode of The Worst Idea of All Time. I would like to thank Guy Montgomery for joining me once again. I would like to uh, plead to you to, uh, I don't know, I feel like I should tell him to do something now. Leave a review. Uh, join the Facebook group. Um, join the Patreon if you so choose. If you've been a fan for a long time, maybe you want to join the Patreon because we've got other bonus content we're making over there. Patreon.com slash T-W-I-O-A-T. Um, but... Most importantly of all, this applies to everyone still with me, still listening at this point. I want you to be you, and I want you to celebrate being you. Whoever you are, whatever you're doing, unless you're affecting other people in a negative way, keep on keeping on. And if you are affecting people in a negative way, maybe take a look at yourself and go, how could I change this situation for the better? (laughs) This has been Tim Bat. Kevin Hart. Signing off. You got anything you want to add, guy? Nah, I like you. All right, God bless you all. Good night. You don't even know what you're saying, my friend. I love him. I love him. Ow! This movie's still fine. There's a Coley, One of them dies, that guy's screw. One of them's a hottie, his name is Jay. One of them looks like Johnny Depp, and his name is Johnny Depp. Classic Maximum Joseph. You forget that films are supposed to have a point. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you're thirsty for another, why not try The Male Gaze? It's The Male Gaze! What is that? With, if you are listening to this podcast oh my God. and you have not interested in Asians sexually on your profile, <sighs> unsubscribe. Well, keep subscribing and inform no, yeah, your ass. Keep subscribing, keep listening because we're going to change you. Devil Male! Devil Gaze!